data has become a big buzzword that might even become a catch-all across a variety of industries. But when it comes to veterinary medicine, the power that data from diagnostic tools can provide for a veterinarian and a pet owner can truly make a difference in the preventive care of cats and dogs. In this podcast, we will address some of the new and not so new diagnostic tools available for veterinary clinics and the impact they can have on the health of the cats and dogs under their care. Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canaan, where we address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, Chief Strategy Officer at Stevens & Associates and your host for this conversation. Joining me on the podcast today are Dr. Angela Hughes, Senior Manager, Global Science Advocacy for Mars Pet Care. Welcome, Dr. Hughes. Thank you so much for having me. Also joining us today is Dr. Craig Datz, Board Certified Veterinary Nutritionist, Senior Director of Scientific Affairs with Royal Canin. Welcome, Dr. Datz. Thank you, Brenda. Glad to have Dr. Hughes here as well. It's going to be a great conversation. I am constantly impressed by the advances that are being made within veterinary medicine. In just a few decades, it feels we've gone from recommending basic things to help prevent disease like vaccinations, deworming, tick control, um, and heartworm prevention to more recently really focusing on preventing more complex disorders or catching diseases earlier through diagnostics like routine blood tests and other procedures, even when pets seem healthy and are only going in for an annual checkup. Dr. Hughes, talk with us about some of these advancements and why they're so important. Well, as you mentioned, it's really uh, shifted quite a bit in the last few decades uh, to the point where now we are using technology to augment the clinical uh, capabilities of the veterinarians in the practice. So we can provide them with extra information through even routine diagnostic tests that we are running um, regularly in practice. We can look deeper into understanding their blood work or their genetics uh, or understanding breed predispositions so we can get in ahead of uh, things that could develop in the future and help clients understand what they may be facing and what they can do in, uh, in advance of it uh, arising to try to prevent it or at least um, mitigate what could happen to their pet in the future. It feels like lately we're hearing a lot about kidney disease, especially. We know it's really common in older pets, especially in cats. What, what's happening in that area? So kidney disease is a, is a particularly um, impactful area, on, as you mentioned, on cats. Uh, it is the number one killer of cats over the age of five. Um, it's less of an issue for dogs. Only a few percentage of dogs um, are likely to develop kidney disease in their lifetime. But in cats, it's, it's really a prevalent problem. Um, basically, their kidneys just were not built to uh, have a, a really long lifespan as we're able to give them now in many cases. Uh, so what we are finding is um, looking at the diagnostics that we run normally uh, on a regular basis, the, the routine blood work that we can collect um, to understand CBC um, uh, and UA and, and chemistry panels to look at their BUN and creatinine and, and some of those markers, we can start to see very subtle changes in those really uh, a few years in advance of when we're gonna see full-blown clinical kidney disease. And that's where um, um, Mars Pet Care has really excelled in understanding this data and interpreting this data very finely uh, so that the veterinarians can get this flag earlier and understand which cats are likely to develop kidneys, kidney disease up to two years prior to when we would have previously diagnosed it. 
Now this, uh, this is called renal tech. They have uh, gone through this extensive process of, of analyzing over 30 different clinical um, diagnostic parameters uh, in those um, diagnostics that I mentioned earlier. And they found the seven key criteria that when put together uh, and analyzed by the computer are the best, uh, have the best ability to identify those cats that are starting to trend just, you know, oh, even so mildly towards having uh, some kidney issues uh, and flagging those cats early. So that's the real connection in between, you know, the data from real cases and how we can use AI to assist to give that insight, right? They looked at um, over 150,000 cats uh, over 20 years uh, and conducted I couldn't even say how many millions of, of uh, um, calculations and that sort of thing and, and used AI, that artificial intelligence, to analyze this big data um, uh, to find those patterns that they could identify where we can see these subtle changes early on uh, and then use that, data, that information proactively for pets now and patients now uh, to, to raise awareness uh, and what they have found in cats that um, have this renal tech um, number calculated for them uh, or, or result calculated, they are seeing those cats come in 30% uh, more often uh, to get additional follow-up care uh, from their veterinarians when, they're when the owners are, are alerted to the possibility that their cat's going to develop uh, kidney disease in the, in the coming years. So AI is helping us though far beyond kidney disease in cats, right? I mean, it, it's become very widespread. It's not as widespread as we would like, you know, certainly we're, we're on a trajectory towards that. Um, but there are a couple other areas beyond, you know, kidney disease that AI is, is helping us. Um, there is a new publication that is um, undergoing review right now where uh, clinicians at Antec, our diagnostics uh, company, have worked with um, data scientists to analyze biopsy samples uh, for cancer and to count the mitotic figures, um, which was a very time-consuming and somewhat subjective uh, measure to look at how um, uh, severe a cancer was or, or, or malignant it could be. Uh, and now they have used AI to figure out how a computer can map those mitotic figures and give you a very accurate count very quickly. And that is going to help, you know, pathologists not only have to not count all of these mitotic figures, but we have a much better standardized method of, of counting those figures and giving uh, veterinarians more information more quickly and helping, helping parents, pet parents that have uh, a pet that could be having cancer issues, uh, information more quickly. Dr. Datz, comment from you. Yeah, that, that's all great information, Angela. I, from a veterinary practitioner standpoint, thinking back of when I when I was in practice for many years, I think what computers can do is they're they're more patient and they're more thorough. So what I was thinking as you were discussing earlier about subtle trends in blood work, I believe I was taught in veterinary school most of the time is when you look at a blood panel result or your analysis result, you look for numbers that are outside the reference range, either high or low. And most of our reference labs will flag them as red colored or bold or have an arrow up or down. And that draws our attention to that. But, I, but am I correct in saying, Angela, that sometimes the number can still be right in the reference range, maybe in the middle of the reference range, but the trend 
over time can actually flag a, a possibility of a disease occurring. Exactly. So it's uh, even very subtle changes, still well within the reference range. But if we're starting to see these subtle changes that, you know, um, 0.1 difference than, than it was the last time, we may not register that as something to, to pay attention to. But if those subtle changes are happening across multiple uh, different biomarkers or, or um, uh, uh, markers from our, our testing, then we can, the computer can analyze that all together and give us this result in this flag. Uh, so you're right, this is not meant to replace by any means. This is meant to augment um, the clinical capabilities of our veterinarians, give them more information and analysis than even what they could do on their own. And we know that they're busy. So it's how can we, how can we make their um, clinical expertise better, uh, but also uh, faster so that they don't have to spend as much time uh, reviewing and analyzing these results. Uh, they can get those results quickly and accurately and pass that along to their clients and make the, the treatment plan, and um, which is where they should be hopefully spending more of their time uh, making the, the pet better. Yes. And as a nutritionist, I one of my favorite measurement tools is, is a low-tech scale. So I like to look at body weights of cats and dogs. And, and one subtle change that can occur in cats with kidney disease and dogs as well is weight loss. And we may not think really hard about a cat that weighed nine pounds last year and weighs 8.8 .8 pounds this year. And we just kind of go about our exam. We don't think about it, but if we stopped ourselves and we tie that very slight weight loss, even 1% or 2% of body weight loss in a cat or dog that otherwise looks healthy, that could encourage us to maybe stop a bit and say, hmm, I wonder if this is a subtle change in this animal's condition that I should be paying attention to. Absolutely. That, that's an exactly the, the point that we're looking for is, is when can those subtle changes be something that, that relate to a much bigger problem that we need to be paying attention to? And when are they just, you know, various fluctuations in, in body weight because, you know, the, the seasons have changed. So it, it feels like DNA testing is everywhere these days. And some of these tests are also available to help screen for health. So Dr. Hughes, how are veterinarians and pet owners using DNA tests for preventive care? So that is a really great question. Um, DNA testing has been around in veterinary medicine for about 15 years now uh, and has come a long way in that timeframe. Uh, we've gone from, you know, looking at uh, 130 odd breeds in a dog to find out what its breed ancestry is to now we can test for over 350 breeds. Um, we can look at cats and test for over 70 different breeds in cats. We're also able to, with a, a very small DNA sample, either a cheek swab or a small blood sample, look at uh, over 200 health conditions that might be of concern in dogs and, and over 45 different health conditions in cats. On the trait side, again, maybe less medically necessary to understand why a dog's coat color is what it is or a cat's coat color. Um, but a lot of times that's what clients find really fascinating because that's the expression of the dog and cat's genetics that they can see and, and understand. Uh, so really the fact that we can capture all of this information, uh, especially that health testing and breed um, ancestry that can give us as clinicians information to think about the future of this pet. Do we have any drug sensitivities that we need to pay attention to? Uh, is the cat positive for polycystic kidney disease uh, mutations that we can you know, pay attention to that then feeds into, are we looking at chronic kidney disease down the road? 
um, those sorts of things. So having this kind of baseline of, of genetic information uh, gives us as a clinician a very powerful tool to look at kind of what I call the overall broad map of what this patient could be dealing with. Where is it that their roads could lead to? Uh, it does not tell us where they are on that map. That's where your clinical capabilities and, and other testing come in to help you understand, okay, this dog is, is predisposed to having um, some issue and we need to know, are they facing that issue now or are they not? Uh, so there are kind of two separate uh, um, diagnostic capabilities that we need to look at, but genetics is, is that baseline information what this pet is predisposed to, what do I need to have kind of in the back of my brain thinking about uh, for the long-term care of the pet, but also if something were to happen, uh, if the dog were to be playing in the park and suddenly collapse, is it predisposed to exercise-induced um, uh, collapse, in which case I would treat it very differently than if it wasn't, and, and I'd have to be thinking about other, other medical concerns. So it can be a very powerful tool um, and uh, something we didn't have even a decade ago. So it's a great thing moving forward, especially with regard to preventive care uh, and what we're deciding to do for our, pa our patients. So Angela, is this part of a trend toward going beyond just the breed of a dog or cat may signal in us veterinarians, oh, this, this dog or cat may have such and such because I associate with this breed to more individualized medicine and healthcare where we, we not only say this breed may have this condition, but now we can maybe get to the point where this pet, this actual patient in front of us, may be highly predisposed to a certain condition based on genetic results. Is that the way this trend is going? Absolutely. The As we build our capabilities within genetics and understanding what mutations cause what problems and that sort of thing, uh, we are getting to the point where we have this inventory, uh, this list of, of conditions that we can look at in an individual pet and know what their specific predisposition is uh, regarding that. So absolutely, we are moving towards individualized care and preventive medicine uh, in, a, in a much greater way. So to your point, before we would have said, oh, this dog looks like a lab, uh, you know, exercise-induced collapse might be a problem uh, way in the back of our mind. Now we know, then we went to, it is a lab or it's part lab, you know, exercise-induced collapse could be a part of the problem to this is a lab golden retriever boxer mix, and it is positive for one copy of EIC, and this is you know, exercise-induced collapse, and that's what this means uh, moving forward and what I need to instruct my client in order to prevent that from happening, or if it does happen, this is what you need to do in the event it does happen. As we think about individualized care uh, becoming a bigger part of practice these days, you know, veterinarians are starting to have to shift how they uh, work with their clients and, and what they can share uh, so that their clients can do more to intervene or to change their, their pet's care at home. Uh, Craig, can you speak to what you might be thinking about as a clinician and a nutritionist in terms of uh, individualized diets and individualized nutrition uh, for veterinarians to think about when they're speaking with their clients? Yeah, that's a great question, Angela. As a nutritionist, um, I'm interested in getting the right diet, the right nutrition to the right pet at the right time and knowing more about the individual pet's predisposition or actual disease processes is very helpful to me. And we are trying to uh, help, the, help the client with their pet, maybe not all dogs and all cats are fed the same way. It's like, what is your dog or your cat? What nutrition would that do best on? So when we learn about things like early diagnosis of 
chronic kidney disease, for example, or the predisposition, there are some dietary modifications that can be made. Um, I'm also thinking about sometimes our, our DNA test may reveal a marker for something like the predisposition for urate urolithiasis. And so if we know that this dog may be a urate stone former, we can take a look at our nutritional approaches to that disease. Um, and just in general, the more data we have about a patient, the more nutritionists can think through of all of the options of commercial diets, home diets, supplements, uh, additives, treats, how can we tailor a nutritional plan for that animal that will best fit and hopefully prevent progression of disease, maybe help eliminate the disease, but at least help manage it the best we can. Truly fascinating how far things have come in recent years. You know, it, the future is both exciting and hopeful for the profession and for pet owners. So fabulous conversation. I think we could carry on for, you know, for much longer, but tr truly appreciate Dr. Hughes and Dr. Datz, you being with us today to, to delve into, you know, the future of, of preventive pet healthcare and, and disease treatment, really fascinating stuff. So thank you, Dr. Datz, for your time today. Thanks, Brenda. And thanks, Angela, for joining us. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Hughes, for taking time to, to talk with us about all of the exciting advances. Thank you so much, Brenda, for having me and great conversation.